This morning's reading is Psalm 111. It's of David. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart, in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his power to the people of the, he's shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are steadfast forever and ever, done in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. This is the word of the Lord. The uh, observant amongst you will know that uh, I actually preached on this sermon about three and a half years ago, and, um, and it's still the sermon. I've given a lot of illustrations over the years, but an illustration in this sermon was the one that people remember the most, ask the most, um, it must have hit them the most. The slightly disappointing thing from my point of view is it wasn't my illustration. At the time I gave credit to the preacher who said it, and I will again today, um, but it is a great illustration. It's a different uh, talk this morning, same point because it comes from this great psalm, but I've kept those two illustrations because I think they make the, uh, the point so well and so strongly. Uh, let me just pray and then we'll um, have a think on those great words that Andrew just read to us. Father, I do pray that whatever we're feeling this morning, whether it is thankful or whether it's uh, full of sadness, whether it's full of doubt and uncertainty, whether it's full of um, isolation and uh, anger and bitterness, whatever it is we may be feeling, this morning you may open our hearts to see you more clearly and what you've done for us more powerfully. So in the midst of any situations, our hearts may be thankful for the right reasons. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was watching uh, Jimmy Fallon on The Tonight Show uh, about three months ago and he was interviewing a guy called Terry Crews. Terry Crews, if you don't know him, is huge. He's massive. He's an ex-NFL player, although now he's an actor. And uh, because I've already said how huge he is, you might expect that he, he stars in some of the action movies. He starred in the, um, the three Expendable movies with Sylvester Stallone and the rest of the action heroes. Uh, slightly more surprisingly, he's also in a comedy, uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, if you've seen him in that. And Cruz, on this uh, talk show, did an incredible... He spoke about what he did when he was growing up, and he said he loved breakdancing. And unprompted, he got up and did this incredible robot dance uh, that's worth Googling if you want to. It's very well done. But it was what he said next that struck me. After this unprompted robot uh, dance routine, Jimmy Fallon asked him where he got this attitude and energy that everyone knows and loves Terry Crews for. And Terry Crews answered... With a surprising word, he said, oh, it comes from gratitude. Gratitude. He spoke about the importance of being deliberately thankful. He actually said, this is a quote of his, he said, the key to energy is gratitude, and the more thankful you are, the more energy you get. And it stood out because how often do we speak about thankfulness or gratitude today? 
Not a lot, I don't think. Now, I don't know about the physical or psychological truths of it being healthy to be thankful, but I do know he was echoing a theme that's throughout the Bible where we're repeatedly told as people, as human beings, and certainly as Christians, to be thankful to the Lord in the midst of all situations. But it's countercultural. Being thankful or grateful is not something that gets much of a focus today, I don't think. We're way more likely to be expectant than thankful. We're way more likely to be complaining or grumbling than thankful. Thankfulness you don't hear as much of. Uh, One of the things I worry about most in the, the next generations coming through is a lack of thankfulness because everything's on offer. Uh, but I don't just see it there, I see it in my own heart and I see it in my own generation as well. This level of expectancy and uh, grumbling and we're not thankful. One of the American traditions I love the most is Thanksgiving. And actually when I preached on this um, three and a half years ago, that's how I began the sermon, with a long quote, meant that I hardly had to write any sermon, it was so long, a long quote by Abraham Lincoln in 1863. And if you know the American history, you'll know that the different states used to have Thanksgiving days, but in 1863 Abraham Lincoln uh, brought them all together, he standardised it into one Thanksgiving holiday for the whole country. And if you ever get a chance to read what he wrote, it's incredible. This is the, the, a politician. This is someone who was ruling that country. And he spoke of people being prone to forget where our blessings have come from. And he urged the country to give thanks to their heavenly father. It sprang out of a recognition that it's right and proper to recognise and give thanks and praise to the Lord for blessings. And, that, and that's a good reminder because it reminds us that we're not just answerable to ourselves. It reminds us that we're not just alone or the things that happen in life are not just random results of impersonal evolution, that there's therefore someone we should thank. They're incredible words by Abraham Lincoln. And again, I'm not saying them today, but you should have a read of them. And the wonderful thing for Christians is we know who to thank. It's a sadness in this world when good things happen and you don't know who to tell. You don't know who to say thank you to. We know as Christians, it's a great privilege to be able to know that uh, all good things come from the hand of our Heavenly Father. Uh, I think the, great, the Thanksgiving for America is good because every year they deliberately, intentionally make sure they're giving thanks. And so I ask you this morning, how's your Thanksgiving and praise to God? Because those two things are linked in. When you're grateful, you praise God. When you're not grateful, it's hard to praise God. Do you thank uh, and praise God regularly? Is it a normal, natural part of your daily lives or is it really just for an hour on a Sunday when we meet together here? I think the reality for many of us is we can get very blasé about thanks and praise to God, either because the difficulties of life kind of choke it out of us, that's a reality, or because we simply take things for granted or a combination of both. Well, many of the Psalms are in the Bible precisely to help us reignite our hearts towards the Lord. They're songs, they're poems expressing truth but done in an emotive way, a powerful way, in a way that should stir our souls back to the Lord. And so if you're sitting here this morning thinking, well, maybe I haven't been that thankful lately, maybe I haven't felt that kind of way to the Lord, the Psalms would be a good place to start because it's to stir our hearts towards him. And Psalm 111 is certainly a psalm of thanks and praise. That's obvious as you just read through it. But there are other parts of the psalm that may not be as obvious. For example, if you're you're reading the psalm this morning in your Hebrew Old Testament, you'd straight away look up and go, Jay, this, this psalm is an acrostic. 
And you'd be right, it is an acrostic. Remember an acrostic is a a poem or a form of words where certain letters, usually the first letter of each line, have special significance. This psalm does. In Psalm 111 there's ten verses. Each verse has got two lines, except the last two verses which has got three lines, which makes 22 lines. And each line starts with the next letter of the alphabet. What's the point of that? I don't know. It's a song, it's art, it doesn't need a point, it's just to stir the soul. It probably, probably it does have a point, it's probably saying A to Z, or whatever the Hebrew, Alpha to Omega. Uh, Everything is to be thanks and praise before the Lord. Uh, It also might be just a, a helpful mnemonic to remember the song, but that's what's going on there. Now if you look at the psalm, you can see that in verse 1, it begins with an exhortation to praise God. Have a look. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the council of the upright and in the assembly. So it says we're to praise God. Then in verses 2 to 9, we're given the reasons why God is to be thanked and praised. It's a reminder really of who he is and what he's done. And if you glance through the verses, you can see that one of the key words in the reasons we should thank him and praise him is the word works. See the word works in verse 2? Great are the works of the Lord. Verse 6, he's shown his people the power of his works. Verse 7, the works of his hands are faithful and just. So the psalm starts off saying praise and give thanks. Then it gives the reasons why. Then the psalm finishes with a call to fear the Lord and praise him, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. So praise at the beginning and at the end and then the reasons why in the middle. And this morning I'd like to look at the the reasons first, the middle, and then finish with why we're to thank and praise him. So, what are the reasons why we should thank and praise the Lord? Verse 2, great are the works of the Lord. They're pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. The psalm starts off talking about his great works, which is basically at this point in the psalm talking about what? Creation. We take creation for granted. We just sang a song a few moments ago, Indescribable, which I've uh, got to admit I've never particularly liked. Um, uh, I don't like a lot of Christian songs, I should acknowledge that. In fact, it's a bit of a joke. When we have planning meetings, for, it becomes a joke that they say, do you like that one, Jay? No. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like a lot of Christian songs, which is why I don't choose the Christian music. But I've never particularly liked it. But there's wonderful truths in that Indescribable, and it fits in really well with the truth that we should be amazed by what God's done within creation how quickly and easily we forget. We take the creation around us and that we're part of for granted. And this is where the uh, illustrations that I spoke of before come in. When I preached on this three and a half years ago, I asked people to think about the sun which keeps our planet alive. How big is the sun? And I asked people, how many planet Earths would fit inside the sun if you could put them in? 1.3 million planet Earths would fit inside the sun. That's incredible. God created the sun by speaking. It happened. But that's the size of it. Last week at Christmas we remembered birth with the birth of Jesus Christ. We can forget how incredible birth is. Pregnancy and the creation of life. Think about it. Every pregnant woman's got life starting inside them. Fingernails being formed in the belly. 
a heart which will probably beat over a billion times being made. Uh, But more than just chemicals and organs, that life will have a conscience and morals and a spirit. It's staggering what goes on. This creation is incredible. And when we forget that, we do a disservice to the Lord. This is the illustration which everyone remembers and uh, it's from John Piper who's an American preacher and it's about rain. And the reason John Piper looked into rain was he was preaching from Job chapter 5 where it talks about rain being one of the great unsearchable things of God that God does on earth. And John Piper went, really? Rain? I'm not sure it's that great or unsearchable. And then Piper goes on to, to write this. This is a long quote but uh, think about it. In Job's mind, rain really is one of the great unsearchable wonders that God does. So when I read this a few weeks ago, I resolved not to treat it as meaningless pop musical lyrics. I decided to have a conversation with myself about this and work out what it meant. Is rain a great and unsearchable wonder wrought by God? Picture yourself as a farmer in the Near East, far from any lake or stream. A few wells keep the family and animals supplied with water, but if the crops are to grow and the family is to be fed from month to month, water has to come on the fields from another source. From where? Well, the sky. The sky? Water will come out of the clear blue sky? Well, not exactly. Water will have to be carried in the sky from the Mediterranean Sea over several hundred miles and then be poured out from the sky onto the fields. Carried? How do you carry water like that? How much does it weigh? Well, if one inch of rain falls on one square mile of farmland during the night, that would be 27,878,400 cubic feet of water, which is 206,300,160 gallons of water, or over a billion pounds of water. Well, that's heavy. How does it get up in the sky and stay up there if it's so heavy? Well, it gets up there by evaporation. Really? That's a nice word, but what does it mean? Well, it means that the water sort of stops being water for a moment so that it can go up, not down. Okay. Well, then how does it get back down? Well, that's not evaporation, that's condensation. What's condensation? Condensation is when the water starts becoming water again by gathering around little dust particles between 0.00001 and 0.0001 centimetres wide. Wow. What about the salt? Salt? Yes, the Mediterranean Sea is salt water. That would kill the crops. What about the salt? Well, the salt has to be taken out. Righto, so the sky picks up a billion pounds of water from the sea, takes out the salt, carries it for 300 miles and then dumps it on the farm. No, 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 it can't dump it. What? Well, if it dumped a billion pounds of water on the farm, the wheat would be crushed. So the sky dribbles the billion pounds of water down in little drops and they have to be big enough to fall for one mile without evaporating and small enough to not crush the wheat stalks. Well, how do all these microscopic specks of water then weigh a billion pounds, get heavy enough to fall? Well, that's called coalescence. What's coalescence? It means the specks of water start bumping into each other and join up and get bigger. And when they're big enough, they fall. Just like that? No, not just like that. Because they'd just bounce off each other instead of joining up if there was no electric field present. What? We need an electric field present? Never mind. Take my word for it. And then John Piper writes, I think instead I'll just take Job's word for it. I still don't see why drops ever get to the ground because if they start falling as soon as they're heavier than air, they'd be too small to not evaporate on the way down. But if they wait to come down, what holds them up till they're big enough to not evaporate? Yes, I'm sure there's a name for that too. But I'm satisfied now, he says, that by any name, 
This is a great and unsearchable thing that God has done. I think I should be thankful. Lots more thankful than I am. That's rain. We haven't begun with anything else except rain. This world and everything in it is incredible. And it's one giant sign pointing to the creator behind it. A creator who's a mathematician and a designer beyond anything we can imagine. This creation screams out the glory and greatness of the creator standing behind it. Do you really think this is a fluke or accident? That's absurd. And the one behind it deserves to be praised and thanked. Do we praise him and thank him? For even things like rain or do we just take everything for granted? But it's not even just the kind of incredible notion of creation that the psalm gives for us to praise God. It's also his redemption, his salvation. It uses the word redemption here. Redemption just means saving by paying a price. But you can see this in verse 4. It talks about he has caused his wonders to be remembered. Remember that word wonder? The Lord is gracious and compassionate. And then in verse 9 it carries on. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. What this psalm is saying here is it's not just creation that we should give thanks to God for, it's him saving us. In verse 4, that word wonders is the same word used for the ten plagues done in Egypt to save the Israelites from being slaves. And you see his language about covenant and redemption. He's talking about God rescuing his people. And the Israelites would have read and sung those words thinking about how great it was that God rescued them from from the Egyptians. We, of course, read them in the light of Jesus, where our salvation comes from. And that means these words take on even more meaning. The God who created the sun that can fit 1.3 million planet Earths inside it just by speaking, that God gave his son to become human and die for you and I so that we could be forgiven. The Lord who holds everything in his hand, not even a sparrow falls apart from his will and he knows the number of hairs on your head, that God in Jesus went to the cross for you. The God who controls the rain and brings life in Jesus went through betrayal and pain and death and forsakenness for you. How can we not praise and thank him? Shame on us when we are reluctant or it slips our mind or we get so caught up in our stuff that God's almost an afterthought. This creating, redeeming, saving God. And and this is of course why we should fear him. Notice it's quite odd at the end. It kind of says we should fear him in verse 10. Why fear of this God is the beginning of wisdom. People shy away from this language of the Old Testament now, and, but it's not just Old Testament, it's New Testament as well. We don't like using the language of fear with God today. Sounds scary or gives the impression that there's a bad relationship. No, no, no. Fear in this sense is, is totally appropriate when you recognise the level of power and authority and glory. That is frightening when you see that power. You see that a lot in the Gospels with the Lord Jesus. I say this to the, at the Christianity Explored groups a lot. Often you'll find in the Gospels when you read through the disciples or people involved in situations and they're scared. Then Jesus sorts it out and you find that what are they afterwards? Terrified. You see it in the calming of the storm. The, the disciples are on the boat. There's a storm coming. They think they're going to lose their life. Jesus gets up and says stop to the storm and it stops immediately. And then we realise the disciples are what? terrified. 
They're scared of the storm. They're terrified by the calm. You see it too when Jesus heals the demonic possessed man. At the beginning of the chapter it talks about he was nuts and he kind of ran around with chains and screaming and doing, hurting himself and all this and people are scared when they see it. At the end, it's very interesting, the people of that village see the man and it says sitting down in his right mind fully clothed, because he used to do all the other stuff naked, uh, he's now sitting in his right mind fully clothed peacefully and they are what? The people are terrified. Why? Because they've seen true power. They've seen something they can't explain. They've seen glory. If you've got an inkling of how great God is, how awesome and wonderful his deeds are, how holy he is, then that's someone to fear. Now, not just to fear, that's the wonderful truth about the Christian faith. We also have him to love and to give thanks to and praise to, but fear should be part of it or you're a fool. Now, fear is sometimes wise. If you're a parent here today, you know that, don't you? I want my children to have an appropriate fear of things in life, not paralysing fear or fear of silly, insignificant things, but appropriate fear for what should be feared. Well, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the Scriptures tell us. If you're here this morning and never really thought about that, reflect on it. You don't muck around with this God. You don't live your life without reference to him. This is the God to get to know and to live under, but thankfully also to love. If you really want to understand this world, start by properly realising who the God who created it is. That involves fear, but it also includes love. And as I finish, it should also lead then automatically to thanks and praise, which is where this psalm starts and finishes. Verse 1, it tells us to praise him with all our heart and to do it publicly with others. Do you praise God with your whole heart, with others, or is it just occasional and half-hearted? Do you praise him at church as you sing, or are you a bit like me, distracted by the song choice or the fact that I can't sing and I don't want others to hear and you've got everything else in you? It shouldn't matter to us. If we love the Lord and we're thankful, we sing. Do we thank him during the day and week? Do we get together with other Christians deliberately so that we can give thanks together and praise him? Other Christians here will be a huge help because if they are positive and excited by God and thankful to him and praising him, that will encourage you to if you're finding things more difficult. It's good to find a couple of Christian friends who will help you there because it's contagious. In the same way, complaining and whining is contagious. Uh, You know it, if you you spend lots of time around someone like that who's always down and grumbling, we're more likely to do it. I'm not trying to pretend that the Christian life is not, uh, that it's easy this morning. It's difficult and sometimes we will need to stop and remind ourselves that there's more to life than just our circumstances. Sometimes we'll want to be around Christian brothers and sisters who help us in that. But we want to do that deliberately, it won't happen automatically. It's very easy to slip into being down and low uh, and then not be able to get back. Do this. Spend time being thankful. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, said, if we want to remember his goodness, we must let it make an impression on us. We must notice it, consider it, estimate it, and allow it to exert its due influence on our hearts. You see what he's saying there? If you want the goodness of God and what he's done to impact us, you've actually got to stop and think about it. Otherwise it will just wash over us and the circumstances of our life will take over. That's why I think the Americans got a great idea with Thanksgiving. What a good thing to do as a country. And gratitude, I'm sure, is the gateway to generosity. I'm positive of that. The more grateful we are and thankful for we are, 
the more generous we are in in terms of time and thought and love to other people around us. Again, Spurgeon says, praise will preserve us from many evils. When the heart's full of the praise of God, it doesn't have time to find fault and grow angry with others. It's true. I want to encourage you and I and us as a church to start this new year off determined to be more thankful, to create a culture of gratitude to the Lord, to do it regularly, deliberately, like the Americans with Thanksgiving. What a wonderful thing to do. For some of us that might mean writing things down. For some of us it might mean saying things out loud. For some of us it might mean sharing it with others. But let's do it because otherwise it's so easy to slip off. Have prayer times where you don't ask for anything. You just praise him and thank him. That is really difficult. We did one at the college where I um, trained once and we were under strict instructions. There's only to be thanks and praise. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for the, uh, just the great fellowship around here. Uh, I really pray that people are okay and please keep them. You straight away start moving into asking for things and try and limit yourself to just thanks and praise. It's not as easy as it, it sounds. We changed, I think it was as a result of preaching this, in the Bean family we changed grace a few years ago so that when whoever says grace and give thanks for the, uh, the food and for those hands that have prepared it also have to give thanks for one other thing. And we just brought that in as a way of trying to put this into practice. And sometimes we're absolutely rubbish at it. Dear Lord, thank you for this food. It's great food. And thank you for the hands that prepared it. And thank you that it's Thursday. <laughs> That's Jesse. Um, but let's try and develop a culture of praise and thanks as individuals and as a church family here at St Stephen's as a pledge for the new year. I pray that 2017 we may be more thankful because he's worthy of it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us for those times when we forget how glorious you are and the majesty of your works. Forgive us for those times when we forget all that you've done to rescue us and make sure that this fallen world is not the last word. And I pray that this year, at the beginning of 2017, you would give us more grateful and thankful hearts. For we ask it in the name of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.